Well, I also want to extend my greetings to you and thank you for joining this service with us. Uh, here in our church at Bethel, we've just finished a series on the book of Jonah. And one of the sermons in that series was on the storms of life. And I couldn't help but think, now our nation and the entire world is engulfed in a massive storm of life. Uh, this past week, uh, the first death due to the coronavirus in Michigan was in Wayne County down near Detroit. And Wayne County is leading our state in the number of viruses. Uh, we have relatives that live down there and this summer we're actually scheduled to have a family reunion in Wayne. And as I thought about that, it just brings this crisis home to me just a little bit closer. I texted my sister that news and she responded with these words. She said, I just read that a New Jersey family has lost three family members due to the coronavirus. And now if you've been following the story as I have, there are four members and two more of that family are ill in the hospital. And it's just hard to imagine the devastation that that family is going through. I also read a poll this week that said two-thirds of Americans admit they are somewhat concerned that either they or a loved one is eventually going to contract the virus. And I think this could be one of those situations where eventually we will all know somebody impacted by this virus and some of us may well know somebody who is tragically impacted. And what I want to do today is just to bring us some encouragement. Jesus is the master encourager, isn't he? And this morning, I want to look at another famous storm in the Bible. This is a storm with Jesus and the disciples. And I want to look at the account mostly in John chapter 6. And so if you have a Bible near you, you may want to turn there. And what is quite interesting is as we look at this storm that Jesus and his closest followers were in, we discover there's two phases. The first phase is Jesus' private actions that are behind the storm. And the second phase is his public actions in the storm. Now, the disciples, they could not see the private actions. All they could see is the public actions. But as we come to God's word, we can see both. And both phases are designed by the Lord to encourage us in the storms of our life. And so let's uh, read together, shall we? Starting at the end of verse 15, and I want to read down to verse 18. And uh, you follow as we look first at Jesus' private actions behind the storm. Uh, the Bible says Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is after dismissing the 5,000 that he had fed. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. The very first thing that jumps out at us here, particularly as we compare this with Mark's account in Mark chapter 6, is that as Jesus was up on the mountain, Mark very clearly says in verse 48, he saw them. 
Now, the Sea of Galilee is sort of like a cereal bowl. And it is surrounded by high mountains. And so Jesus, from his vantage point high up on a bluff, could very easily see the disciples. All they could see was the storm. They could not see Jesus, but they were never out of his sight. Now, what do we know about that? Well, we know from the whole Bible that if Jesus is watching us, then we also know that Jesus is caring for us. And if we are not out of his sight, then we're not out of his care. And the important thing here for the disciples is not that they could see him, but the important thing was that Jesus could see them. I love that phrase in a song that has become well known, and I know many of us have heard the phrase as we've heard the song, and it simply says this, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. And I just love that. And that's exactly what was going on here. They were not able to trace his hand. They couldn't see him. But because he was watching them, we know he was caring for them. And so they could trust his heart. And it's the same for us. The next thing we notice in these private actions behind the storm is Jesus is praying. If we wonder here in John 6, what was Jesus doing up on the mountain? Well, Mark 6.46 says Jesus was on the mountain praying. And we wonder, what was Jesus praying? Now, the text doesn't tell us, but as we think about the training that the disciples were going through in the Gospels, it's not hard for us to realize what Jesus may have been praying for. Uh, these men in their lives and ministries were going to go through many, many storms. And they were going to need to be men of sturdy faith. And so it's not hard for us to imagine Jesus praying things like this. Father, help them to see who I am. Help them to see my greatness. Help them to understand that nothing is too difficult for me. Help them to learn to trust me, to be courageous, and to know my power to save. One of the things that we know from the Bible is many of the things that Jesus did for the disciples while he was with them during those three and a half years, the Holy Spirit now does for us after Jesus returned to the Father and sent him into the world and into our lives. And one of the things we know the Holy Spirit does for us is he prays for us. He intercedes on our behalf. Now, I want you to think about this. There is then an exact parallel between what the disciples were going through and the experience that we have. You see, Jesus was up on the mountain. He was separated from them. They could not see him. And they were down on the sea, facing the wind and the waves and the storm that they were in. And yet, while all of that was happening, Jesus was praying for them. Well, isn't that exactly what we experience? Jesus has gone back to the Father. He is separated from us. We cannot see him. 
here we are down on this earth going through the storms and difficulties and trials of life. But what does the Bible teach us? The Bible says that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. He's always present and he intercedes for us. And because he prays in the will of God and because we know that the Father always answers the prayers of the Spirit and those prayers are in the will of God, we always know that no matter what is taking place, God is accomplishing his good and perfect plan for us. As one of our members said to me just yesterday, as we met accidentally here at church, we know God has a plan. The final thing we notice in this private phase is that Jesus is delaying. It's interesting, verse 17 says, it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. Uh, it's interesting, this trip apparently was a two-stage trip. Uh, after the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples uh, got into the boat, and apparently they were going to first uh, take a little stop at a little town not far away known as Bethsaida, while Jesus dismissed the crowd and then was planning to join them. But when Jesus did not come, these very experienced sailors, uh, understanding what storm conditions can be like on the Sea of Galilee, uh, decided they needed to shove off before a storm arrived. And so apparently they waited until after dark, hoping that Jesus would come, and the Bible says he did not yet come to them. Don't we have to ask a question? Why did Jesus delay? And I think the answer is very obvious. It was to develop their faith. You see, if he rescued them at the beginning of this storm, they would have never become spiritually seaworthy. In order for them to become spiritually seaworthy, they had to be strong vessels, and you do not become strong by smooth sailing. When I was a teenager, I used to love the songs that Andre Crouch had written. And one of the songs that I enjoyed the most was the one that we all know very well, Through It All. And we know those very famous words, Through It All, Through It All. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Now, Andre Crouch was a very experienced Christian. He was a very wise and astute Christian. And he knew well enough not to write a song that went like this at the beginning of it all. At the beginning of it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Because if he wrote a song like that, we would never even know about such a song like that. Because it's just not true to reality. We know that it's not at the beginning of it all that we learn to trust God. It is through it all that we learn to trust Him. And in this national crisis that we are all going through, what we must remember is it's all in His plan. And isn't that the antidote to worry? Isn't that what keeps us from becoming overcome with care and anxiousness? Though we cannot see him, we are to remember this. He sees us. 
His Spirit is praying for us. And why is He delaying? Because He has a great and wonderful purpose for our lives that He's working out. Well now, as we follow this storm, we move from this private phase that the disciples could not see, but we are given an insight into. And then we move into the public phase that the disciples could see. And it's interesting, there are two public actions that are also meant for our encouragement. And those public actions were, number one, Jesus' word to them, and number two, his walking to them. Jesus' word to them and his walking to them. Um, his word in verse 20 reveals his presence. His word in verse 20 reveals his presence. After he had arrived where they were walking on the water, verse 20 says this, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Now why did Jesus need to say this? Well, because they weren't expecting him. And when he arrived, they didn't recognize who he was. So Jesus' word here is a word of encouragement. He was saying, I am present with you. What's very interesting is if you look at John 6, 48, it says that as Jesus walked on the water, he was about to pass them by. And that is a very, very strange statement. Apparently, here's what happened. As Jesus came walking towards them, he was perpendicular towards the boat. And as he got to, to the place where they could see him, he turned parallel. And according to Mark, he walked as though he was going to pass by them. And we have to say, well, what was Jesus doing? Well, it's possible that what we have going on here is what is known in the Old Testament as a theophany. A theophany is an appearance of God to confirm his presence. A passed by was used at least twice in the Old Testament of God's appearing to Moses and then later to Elijah on Mount Sinai. There also might here be an echo of Psalm 77 verse 19 that says about the God of the Old Testament, and listen to these words, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints remained unseen. It becomes very clear what Jesus was doing. He was revealing himself to be the Lord of the Old Testament who controls the wind and the sea. And by the way, doesn't that give new meaning to his words, it is I? Doesn't it? In the original language, ego a me, I am. Ego e me, he said to his disciples, I am. The very designation that God used when Moses said, what is your name? And now Jesus takes that designation upon himself in a theophany as he lets his disciples see, I am. Well, of course we know. That's one of the great themes in the Gospel of John. 
Over and over again, we hear Jesus saying to his disciples, I am, I am, and that's precisely what he wanted them to see, and it's what he wants us to see. Because in the Old Testament, wherever you have the presence of the great I am, you have the power of the great I am. Why did the Lord reveal himself to Moses as I am who I am? Because he wanted to say, Moses, as you go to confront Pharaoh and the most powerful nation on earth, Egypt, you need to know I am who I am is with you. And if he is with you, if I am with you, my power is with you. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus' walk then reveals his power. You see, if his word reveals his presence, then his walk reveals his power. And look at verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. I've asked myself, why did Jesus come walking on the water? Well, there were a lot of things that he could have done. We think about what he could have done. He could have calmed that storm from the shore where he was standing. Uh, he could have drew the boat back to him out of the storm. We know that he could have even instantly appeared in the boat. There were a whole lot of things that he could have done. Why did he come walking on the water? Well, I think it's very obvious. The very waves that threatened them became a stairway to bring Jesus to them. That's why he came walking on the water. I think all of us have noticed that that's true in our lives. The very things that threaten us, the very things that distress us, are the very things that bring us closer to Jesus. Last night I was watching a podcast, a question and answer time with Pastor John MacArthur. And the state of California where he pastors is in a lockdown. And last week in his church he preached to an entirely empty congregation. And one of the things that he said, I thought it was so interesting as I was preparing for this morning, he said, the times in my life that I have gone through the greatest troubles have been the times when I've been most aware of the presence and power of God. And I thought, how interesting that is. And that's what we see here. The waves that were over their head were under his feet. He was in control. And the waves that seem over our heads are under his feet. And he will use those waves to come to us if we will look for him. You know, I, I know a family that's actually here in Marquette where five of those family members became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because of 9-11. Actually six, if you include a grandfather. Just think about that. Those devastating events that took place, there are now six members of a family because of that uh, extraordinarily difficult period in our nation's history brought six members of that family to Jesus Christ. When 3,000 people tragically lost their lives in the Twin Towers and terrorism 
change the world forever. That got the attention of that family. But the very thing that frightened them was the thing that Jesus used to come to them. None of us here know how this pandemic is going to end. I think that's the thing that perhaps is the most troubling for all of us, the uncertainty of it all. On Monday, there were 54 cases in Michigan. By last night, there were 549 cases. And none of us know what the next day is going to bring, but what do we know? We know that Jesus will use this. We know that without a doubt. I like the way this ends. Look at verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Hey, that's a miracle, isn't it? That's a miracle. You're not out in the middle of a, a sea. The Bible says they had rowed three to four miles with a raging storm throwing you here and there, and finally the storm stops, and immediately you are at your destination. That's a miracle. A miracle that only Jesus could perform. And that miracle tells us the lesson that all of us are to take great encouragement is, and that lesson is this, wherever you have the presence of Jesus, you have the power of Jesus. Wherever you have the presence of Jesus, you have the power of Jesus. And that was true for those disciples on the Sea of Galilee in a great storm. And it's true of us in the pandemic of 2020, a great storm that we know Jesus is in control of. Let's take a moment, shall we? And let's just pray and thank Him. Father, thank You today for the relevancy of Your Word. Thank You so much that when we turn to the pages of Scripture, we find truths there that are more than a match for what we read in our morning papers. And thank you that this storm that our state and our country and our world is going through is under the control of our Savior. And we thank you that he is watching us so we know he cares for us. He is praying for us so we know the will of God is being accomplished. And he is delaying because he has a purpose for us and a purpose for our state and our nation and our world. And we thank you, Lord, that in his time, he will, because of his great presence with us, demonstrate his power in ways that will amaze us and comfort us and encourage us. Father, for the worried today, we pray for peace. For those who are already grieving, we pray for comfort. For those who are uncertain, we pray for confidence. And we thank you that as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a wonderful Savior who is sufficient for all things. And we can point everyone to him because he does all things well. Lord Jesus, we love you. And greater than that, we thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for being with us and blessing us. We pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen.